Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Conrad Black, the esteemed author, commentator, and historian, joins us here on the Oakley Show. Conrad, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, John. You know, uh, I was reading with interest in a paper that you founded, uh, actually, uh, National Post and the Financial Post, uh, Canada's largest newspaper chain, Post Media, is that uh, they're actually having a net loss of $5.1 million for the fiscal second quarter, but uh, that's against a double-digit digital revenue growth of nine quarters, consecutive quarters, and uh, so they've sort of staunched the bleeding. But what's interesting here is uh, there's going to be this money, as you know, $600 million to local journalism uh, that was promised in the last Liberal budget federally, and Post Media, I guess, will be uh, one of the beneficiaries. They and other Canadian media companies will be eligible for tax credits that are tied to the salaries of the journalists they employ. And because the credit's tied to the job, the author says, it may force companies to think long and hard about future layoffs. By what criteria, I mean, will people be evaluated to dip into this fund? I mean, because Global News uh, is not getting any of this money. It's earmarked for print, but there's still journalists involved in the operation. Uh, don't you see this as being, or is it uh, legitimate discrimination of a, of a sort? I think I think you'd need to know the, the guidelines more clearly, and I assume a fair amount of discretion will be granted to the people who administer it. And, and there, I think, is the decisive point. If if, if it's if it's somebody, if it, this is not to disparage the civil service. Most of them are conscientious people, and some of them are very talented. But if it's if it's some sort of civil servant with no particular experience in the field of journalism, I think it's apt to be. Uh, it's it's apt to run into a lot of difficulties, just as you and I would if we started out to become brain surgeons or something. And uh, but if if they take a respected person with a journalistic background, uh, and it just and you get them in that field, I, I knew lots of them. I won't name any, but you would know many too, who were just very experienced, positive, fair-minded, intelligent people and, and uh, put a few of them at the head of it. I think they would make up rules where they would do a kind of intuitive meritocracy with, with certain guidelines to repair to so they could justify what they were doing, but with a fair amount of liberality within those guidelines, and they just go for the most promising applications. Uh, if, if it's just a matter of uh, any job that meets a certain category is eligible, and, and, and that's that. We're just dealing with statistics. We're not going to get the best service out of that money. And heaven forbid that it just turn into a, a slush fund for the journalistic friends of the Liberal Party. I assume they would take some precautions to prevent that. Well, uh, that's my question, really. Uh, how do we know this isn't going to just support bad journalism? Partisan journalism, right? Uh, I am afraid you're putting the question to the wrong person, John. I, <laughs> I was trying to communicate that that was a bit of a fear of mine. Not, not, uh, not saying come and get me. I know that's not going to happen. Well, all right. Uh, the, the only, I think, the only security we have on that is if that's how it turns out, they will take such a hazing uh, from the a good part of the rest of the media 
and the public generally that that it would it would it would backfire. I mean, if if they obviously are simply, you know, passing brown envelopes to the to their echo chamber, the you know the hallelujah chorus for the, for the Liberal Party in the press, then yeah, I, I don't I, the public wouldn't like it. Well, that's right. I mean, we'd like to know who these gatekeepers are who dispense the largesse. But uh, all right, just wanted to put that. Well, Jerry Butts is unemployed. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have full confidence that Jerry will do right by uh, journalism in Canada. <laughs> Katie Telford has him on speed dial. You know that, Conrad. <laughs> so she can call her friends right quick. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, dispensing government largesse, what did you make of that $12 million to uh, Loblaws to retrofit the refrigeration system, part of a $450 million liberal slush fund dealing with fighting climate change? I, I don't want to say anything contrary to Loblaws. The Westons are old and uh, and very good friends of mine. They're a wonderful family, and it's a great company, so I don't want to say anything critical of them. But I, I have to say it strikes me as an odd use of the public's money. I mean, Loblaws is a rich company, and I, as you know, I, I think this whole climate change thing is uh, we're riding off half-cocked anyway. But uh, but with that said, if, if that's government policy, the money's available. You can't fault Loblaws for filing the application, and I'm sure there was no skullduggery. I'm sure they filed a, an application that was perfectly right to be accepted by the criteria that are there. I just think that the program is nonsense. All right. So uh, if climate change is not an existential threat, apparently uh, a threat to... You know, the, the, this thing in the uh, by La Passionaria Ocasio, the congresswoman, and, and uh, um, Beto O'Rourke and these people in the United States, if we don't turn our pockets inside out, abolish the automobile and the civil airliner and all live under thatch and bicycle to work that we're going to you know there'll be no life on the planet in 12 years i mean we we just we just got to grow up and get over that well you know uh i'm kind of curious then because if we uh just park that for now the climate change threat apparently we're also told a threat to our way of life our communities and our democracy is white supremacy and white nationalism this was a debate that surfaced in the house of commons the other day justin trudeau going after andrew Scheer demanding he denounce this stuff. I just wonder if this is now becoming somewhat of a, a left-wing dog whistle of sorts to conflate anybody on the conservative side of the political ledger uh, with white supremacist and uh, white nationalism. How do you see it? I, I think there is some of that. I, what I would say is that all groups, all ethnic groups without exception, should be proud of what they are. Everybody should be proud of what they are without disparaging anyone else. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to be a white Anglo-Saxon, and a Christian, but I have nothing but respect for all other groups. And uh, and and I, I so I, I think once we get into this white supremacist uh, language, we're implying that white supremacist thinking, i.e., implicitly a racial, a, 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 a an insinuation of racial superiority. Uh, that is a bad thing, but it is no worse than uh, than the concept of the supremacy of any other racial group. All of those things are obnoxious. And I, I think what you said, the dog whistle thing, is where we're getting to. It is not as if uh, the white supremacists are worse than, for example, uh, extreme racist African-American organizations who, who countenance the killing of white policemen, for example. But uh, we, I think we want to, we want to just as we do not wish to discriminate against any group, we don't wish to carry discrimination against any group into a singular identification and a singling out of one group as more prone to be racist. 
but uh, the fact is, these some of the I mean, these white supremacist groups, the the, the militant ones, are terribly obnoxious. Uh, but I do agree with that senator that they are so outrageous. They are not really a particularly great threat to us because the support they receive is very small. Ninety-eight no. percent of people disapprove of that sort of thing. It's a pity it isn't a hundred percent, but you know we we always have a few kooks with us. Well, as the uh, uh, Toronto Star opines, uh, this is likely to remain front and center in the lead up to the 2019. I, what, I, what I would oppose, though, and I and I, I imagine most of your listeners would, is if we keep harping on this. I mean, certainly we must attack it when it occurs, but if we keep harping on it. We're going to incite the inference in the minds of, of the public that we're talking about a large number of people. You know, 20 percent of the people or 30 percent of the people are, are, are in favor of banning non-whites or discriminating against. So that is rubbish, and we shouldn't we shouldn't get into that kind of demagogy. Well, and uh, that's the whole point, I guess, of uh, why this is surfacing at this particular time, uh, playing this dare I call it, the race card. Uh, Real odious stuff. Conrad, appreciate it as always. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.